Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the June edition of my uh, construction webinar series. Uh, for those of you joining me for the very first time, welcome. My name is Tashia Rasool. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm where I defend uh, workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. Um, that's all I do. That's all my team does. We work very closely with General Liability Council also. For those of you who have been following me for the past couple of years, thank you and welcome again. All right, so today we're going to talk a little more about what to do after there's a loss. We are going to talk about on-site investigations and activating the team after an accident occurs. Um, at the end, just a reminder, this is a live webinar, so in the end you'll have the opportunity to ask any questions, leave any comments. Um, the box should look like this, type your question in there, and it should pop up in my end. If I don't have enough time to get to all of your questions, um, I will respond to you via email, or you can always give me a call if you think of any questions uh, after the webinar is over. Okay, let's get into it. So the last couple of months I've been talking about, you know, assembling this team, this grand team when you have a wrap-up program, whether it's an OSIP or a CSIP, and all the parties that should be involved and get in the contact list together. Now let's talk about how to activate the team once there's been a loss. So I've mentioned before several times, I believe in an, initi in, in an initial investigation. I think it should happen as soon as possible, within the first 12 to 24 hours, um, and you know, get your team out there to preserve evidence. Why do I recommend the investigation to happen so soon? The job site is a change in organism, right? Uh, workers who are there today, they're not going to be there tomorrow. Different trades that are there, there today, they're not going to be there tomorrow. Equipment's always being moved, especially in cases where uh, the claimant's alleging that some kind of equipment was involved in the accident. It might be moved, might have been moved after the accident, or might be moved off, the, off of the job site uh, in the days following the accidents. If we don't get there in time, we're not going to be able to preserve all of the evidence that we need surveillance from the job site or from neighboring buildings also get uh, um, erased and you know new surveillance starts some of them are like every 12 hours some of them are every 24 hours uh, especially if it's not in control by the actual job site or the owner of the contract if the investigators have to go to neighboring buildings you know it may have been written over uh, if they get there a week or two weeks later. So that's not going to help. So that's one of the reasons that the investigation should be done as soon as possible also. Everything's changing. You know, people's stories are also going to change about what happened, what they saw. It's best to get uh, the most contemporaneous statements and evidence um, in order to start creating your defense. Even when an accident does not happen and the claimant is claiming that there was one, you know, so like the made-up accidents or the frivolous claims, as soon as you become aware of that, an investigator should get onto the job site. In those situations, it might be a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, it might be a couple months later. But even if that's the situation, have your investigators get on the job site as soon as you have knowledge that the claimant is claiming an accident. So which accidents should be investigated? 
So I think all of them should be, right? But it depends on the severity or how catastrophic the accident is. You'll decide whether you want your most expert team to go out there, whether you want GL Defense to go out with you, whether you're just going to do a small investigation where you have, um, you know, someone from your office just kind of like go out and see what's happening. If it's a like a hand, small hands cut injury, an investigation is not really required. However, um, I, well, I guess I should say an on-site investigation is probably not required. However, other types of investigation should be done. Should be contacting the supervisor, the foreman, the medic getting any incident reports, getting the initial medic report, and preserving that just in case the claimant files a claim. As for the most catastrophic ones, you know, if there's a fall from a height, fall off a ladder or a scaffold, honestly, if there's a fall fall from like a, a, a two feet step stool, I think you should get out there and investigate that also. Catastrophic ones, thankfully, we don't see these very often, but if there's like a loss of limb or severe head injuries, and that's those have to be investigated right away. Um, if there's a use of heavy equipment or machinery involved for the same reasons uh, as, um, as I just mentioned, that you know they could be moved, or, uh, positions could be changed and so forth, you should get your investigator out there right away. Uh, these are the ones that are most severe. Our allegations of these types of injuries are the most severe and they do warrant an investigation. We do need to get the witnesses lined up. We need to get the witness statements because I can tell you, a fall from a height, it might be a very short height. Uh, the initial injuries might be very minor, but as you probably know, in these workers' compensation claims, it starts with a shoulder injury, it travels to the back and then up to the neck and then it gets down to the knees and the entire body is being claimed after a while. So it's extremely important to go out there, see exactly what happened, document what exactly happened, get the witnesses lined up, get the witness statements preserved, um, and provide all of that information to the pertinent members on your contact list, that is your defense counsel, whether it's GL or workers comp or both, uh, to the owner, to um, the, the insurance carrier, make sure everyone has that information because everyone may have questions that need to be answered um, in a further investigation also. So the on-site investigation should, um, should be done by your vetted investigator. It's, you know, we talked about setting up this program, setting up the plan, vetting your vendors even before an accident occurs. So you may have one go-to vendor, you may have a backup one for investigations. They should know, they should be aware that when an accident occurs, you expect them to send an investigator out there as soon as possible, immediately, within 12 hours. As soon as they get the call, they should be calling one of the investigators saying, hey, I need you to go out in this particular job site. You can also consider a cloaked investigation, which is attorney-driven. Most of my clients do this um, in the construction sites. We can almost always expect a general liability claim to be filed. They would assign GL counsel immediately, have GL counsel go out with the investigator to help conduct the investigation. You can also, and we recommend calling your defense, um, your workers' comp defense attorney too. As a reminder, things go so quickly on the workers' compensation end. In a denied claim, 
it can go from the filing of the claim to trial in maybe 60, 90 days. It's very fast. So your defense attorney on the workers' comp side would be able to tell you all of the information they would need when the claimant files that claim so they can tee up their defense and be ready to go to trial also. Definitely give them a call and tell them, give them a heads up that the investigator is going out there, the claim is going to be assigned to their office, can you assist us with providing guidance to the investigator? What information should be collected? So it's really the basic who, what, when, where, how, right? Uh, eyewitnesses, even if someone was not an actual eyewitness, if someone was in the job site, for example, a higher supervisor, you know, the superintendent or a foreman who was not in the area but may have been responsible for filling out an incident report, the medic who would not be an eyewitness to the actual accident but would be an eyewitness to the treatment that the claimant received or, you know, going to the claimant, waiting for the ambulance to come and so forth. Any lay witnesses that you can get, it should be anyone who saw anything, anyone who heard anything, or anyone who would, um, would have knowledge of the accident. Because in workers' compensation court, when we're talking about witnesses, it's not necessarily someone who um, saw something that happened, right? We could bring in a, the medic to testify as to the nature of the, the injuries and the very minor treatment that um, was administered to the claimant. We can bring in a supervisor to, in the, uh, to testify regarding the accident reporting uh, and documenting policies and procedures. If there's an employer-employee relationship and we're saying the claimant is not our employee, we would need a senior um, a supervisor or some kind of like a senior personnel to come in and testify to that. So definitely document all of these individuals who were on the job site that particular day. I've seen situations where like six months later we're trying to figure out if there's anyone else on the job site who would have knowledge about something and it's hard to get that information, get that person, it's hard to get um, to, 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 to get them to like remember or even cooperate when it's happened several months ago and they were not, it was not discussed with them in the very beginning. Uh, preserving tools, devices, equipment, taking photographs, videos, taking photographs of the accident location, um, the, the, the area around the location, outside of the building, inside of the building, all of these things are very helpful in preserving the evidence and helping to um, uh, create your defense and, you know, they don't always have to be produced to the other side during discovery. This is for you to review, to process, internalize, to speak with your attorneys as to how the defense is going to um, be crafted. For me, I like seeing pictures of the work accidents or the area where it happened or even the claimants after it happened. I wouldn't produce those uh, photographs, but it would help me in cross-examining the claimant, right? So when he testified that he fell in area A, I know what area A looks like, so I can poke holes in his testimony with regards to, did you really fall? Was it really high? Was the ground really concrete, or was it wood, or was it mud, or something else, right? So it's important for your defense attorney to have this information so they can cross-examine and develop the record also especially if they're not going out to the job site to do the investigation.
The emergency response report should um, also be collected and preserved. This would be like the medic, this would be the incident report <clears throat> from the employer. It would be any ambulance reports if an ambulance comes to the job site. I know some uh, clients when an ambulance comes to the job site, it's reported to the Department of Buildings. A copy of that report should be preserved also. So we can, um, at the time of trial, if it becomes necessary and we're contesting that an accident occurred or you know um, the, the severity of the accident, we would have all of that information. Next, we have to activate the rest of the team. So that contact list that we talked about a couple of months ago with everyone on your team, the phone number, the email addresses, this is the time to activate the rest of the team. Um, you should know at, at this point who are the first people to be notified, who are the ones that are going to be on the very first phone call. Generally, we're talking to the on-site nurse or the medic if there was treatment given on site. And I'll tell you, in those frivolous claims, the ones that didn't happen, the ones that you know come to your attention like months later, the nurse or medic is probably not going to have any information. And it's good to have that because if an accident really did occur, chances are the on-site nurse or medic did tend to the claim and did try to administer treatment, especially in those situations where they're claiming that they were taken to the hospital via ambulance, right? If it was severe enough for an ambulance to have to take them to the hospital, then I'm pretty sure they received some kind of online uh, on-site treatment. The general contractor, contractor should be notified also. A lot of times the trades are subcontracted out and you know the claimants are working for the subcontractors. General contractors should be a part of the process um, the investigation process, the initial meetings. The broker and the owner, of course, um, the owner needs to know what's going on. The broker, a lot of times, help to make decisions with how the investigation is going to go, how the claim is going to go, is it going to be accepted or denied, and of course, your defense attorney. These should be the main people um, to be contacting in the very, very beginning. Okay. So that's what we do after the loss, right? The plan that we've worked several months to come up with, with the owner, the insurance carrier, the broker, um, in order to try to expedite uh, um, litigation of these claims and also our investigation, um, having all of the right team members in place, it's time to activate that plan as soon as an accident occurs or as soon as you become knowledgeable of an alleged accident. Um, like I mentioned, I believe last month or the previous month, it's important to have a drill. So hopefully you're going to have that drill and when the first accident occurs, you know exactly what to do and who the first person is to call. Trust me, I work with a lot of wrap-up clients um, for both OSIPs and CSIPs and they have by, by having this protocol, by having this plan um, with regards to how to respond to a loss, it has helped them tremendously in terms of um, reacting, planning, strategizing, and ultimately having all of the resources help to reduce exposure on your claims. So definitely recommend it. All right, that's all I have for today. It was kind of quick, but I hope it was helpful. 
If you have any questions, type them into the box. Um, the next webinar is going to be next month, and we're going to talk a little bit about legal issues and coordinating defense. So I get a lot of questions about sharing information. To share, you're always talking about coordinating with general defense counsel, but aren't there um, restrictions, aren't there privileges that need to be addressed and protected? Yes, and I will tell you what they are and how we can share information without, um, uh, you know, uh, violating any of those privileges and disclosing information that's not meant to be disclosed to the other side. So I'll see you next month, um, June 3rd. Enjoy the warm weather, it's coming up, but let me take a look to see if there's any questions. All right, so I don't see any, but if you think of any after the webinar is over, feel free to send me an email or give me a call. I'd be happy to chat with you. All right, take care, everyone. I'll see you right here next month.